0: Put God first. Your presence in their lives gives them validation.
1: Our children don't need us to be superheroes.
0: If you do these things, the next generation and the generations that follow will live in a world far better than the one we have today.
2: Men, stand up, be fathers.
0: Hey guys, it's Mark, your host and founder of The Inspired Legacy. As always, this is the show that equips and inspires you to be spiritual leaders in your home. And if you're listening to this, chances are good that you're already doing all that you can to be a better husband and father. So it's not going to be news when I say that in the world we live in today, in order to be effective leaders at home, we've got to be bold and intentional in all that we do. That's what men have to bring into this equation. We can't rely on our wives, though I'm sure many of them are capable But leadership in the home is a role that God designed specifically for men. So today, we're going to dive deep into leadership. And if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you've heard me say that when it comes to developing exceptional leaders, there are few institutions that do it better than our United States military and few who do it better than the legendary Navy SEALs. Guys, I'm really excited about this. Today, I'm joined by Chad Williams. He's a former Navy SEAL and author of the book, Seal of God. He's also a frequent guest on Fox News and CNN, where he provides perspective on issues related to leadership, resilience, teamwork, motivation, and overcoming adversity. And as a former SEAL, he's certainly no stranger to being bold and intentional in all aspects of life. Chad Williams, welcome to the show, man. It's an honor.
1: Thank you so much for having me on,
0: Mark. You bet, man. Well, before we dive in, which I cannot wait to do, let's hear about your dad life. What do you got going on at home?
1: So uh, I've got two children, uh, one son, he's five years old by the name of Noah, uh, the biblical character there, yeah. and uh, and my daughter, Ella, uh, she's eight years old. So it's uh, definitely a fun age. I get told by guys that have kids that are grown up, like these are some of the best years. And so I'm oh, trying to soak it in
2: 100%, and, <laughs> uh,
1: and absorb it as much as I can.
0: Yeah, that is some of the most, those, those are the most fun years. Not the most fun, but I look upon those years with my kids just to great memories. And that's the, the time span where you're their hero and you can do no wrong. Right. Right.
2: Yeah, I
1: mean, yeah. I always think that whatever's next, you know, like has better things to come. I remember in high school, they're like telling us, these are the going to be the best four years of your life. And I was like <laughs> thinking, I hope not. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah.
0: The best four years up until that point anyway. Right. Oh, well, oh, man, uh, I can't have a SEAL on the show without at least touching on some of your military exploits. So as much as you're comfortable and able to share, kind of talk about how you got into the military and some of the things that you did while you're in the uh, in the SEALs.
1: Sure. So just a little background on the SEALs for anyone listening that maybe, you know, might not be so familiar. SEAL is an acronym and it stands for our areas of operation. So we operate in the sea, the air, and the land to kind of give folks an idea of what my team was doing on the last deployment I was involved in. We're out in Iraq, and given the task of hunting down men that make suicide vests and roadside bombs like IEDs. And while we're out there, we're working with a group called the ISOF, which is the Iraqi Special Operations Forces. And one of our goals with those guys is to simply teach them how to fight their their own fights. And so the best way to do that is to not only train them on base, but actually go outside the wire and fight side by side uh, with them. And uh, I remember when we were running out of time, we only had maybe enough time on the calendar to do maybe one more operation with these guys. We weren't so sure if they're ready for us to pass that baton off to them. So we decided, hey, for this final op, why don't we make it a sort of graduation operation? We'll let them plan the whole thing from the ground up and we'll be there with them uh, just in case things hit the fan. And so they start from scratch. They get some intel. They find this guy that's an Iraqi policeman by day. So he's wearing the police uniform by day, but at night back home, he's one of these bomb makers uh, that we're looking for. So they came up with this whole plan approach how they want to get in, grab this guy, extract. I remember rolling out, got my night vision goggles on, looking through my green little world, fifty caliber machine gun in front of me, and I'm just thinking about all the things I know. I know that you know we're going to get in and get this guy. You know where he lives, how we're going to do it, how we're going to get out. But one unique thing I know about this op that makes it different than every other operation. I knew this is it, man. This is the final operation, mm. which also meant I know just a matter of days from now, I'm going to be back in my hometown hunting to Beach, California, surfing in the ocean. Uh, <laughs> but what none of us really knew about that night was that that night we we're all being set up on an ambush and we're about to find ourselves engaging you know, in this gun battle uh, for our lives. And it truly was the team's ability to shoot, move and communicate and perform some of the leadership skills. <laughs> that are instilled in us and that are in the seal creed uh that ultimately led to the obvious conclusion and possibility of me you know being on the program here today and making it out of that alive. And so maybe we can touch on that in a little bit on the podcast. But that kind of gives folks an idea of you know what what SEALs are doing uh in in the teams overseas. And then with my dad, you know, my dad, he's like the ultimate, you know, encourager, mentor, um, very wise. Very smart, man. And when I told him that I wanted to be a SEAL, at that time, I was making uh, a lot of like sort of rash decisions, you know, in my life. I was doing things and starting them, becoming obsessed with them, and then kind of wearing it out and being done with it. You know, I was sponsored by Van Shoes, skateboarding, doing oh, wow. some competing, got burned out, stopped. I started working on sport fishing boats, really got into the whole fishing thing, thought maybe I want to be a captain of a boat, you know, one day, kind of got burned out you know, stopped. Same thing with like, you know, baseball made it like the all-star teams got burned out, stopped. So now I'm attending a local community college after high school and I'm not doing any of those things anymore. I'm doing nothing. And so I felt like a nothing, like I Mm -hmm. felt like a zero. Sure. And so I'm like, man, how do I turn this around? I don't want to be a nobody. I don't want to live an insignificant wasted life. And so as I'm sitting in that school parking lot, I think man I know what I'm going to do to turn this whole thing around. I want to go join the military, and not just that, I want to I want to be a Navy SEAL. And so I was so all in on that that I'm supposed to take finals that day as I'm sitting there in that school parking lot and I'm like, "Uh-uh. If I'm going to be a frogman, my first order of business is this. I do not need to go to school anymore." <laughs> so I took off out of that school parking lot and I let my dad know uh the bad news and the good news as I presented it. And so Uh, the bad news. I'm not passing any of my classes, but the good news, dad, (laughs) it's all right. I got a plan. I'm the man with the plan. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. (laughs) And he's just looking at me looking back now, boy, was he being the voice of reason? Uh, he's like saying, son, just so you know, joining the military, is not like any of these other things you've ever done in the past, like playing ball, skateboarding, or going to a local community college. He says, "If you find out, you know that maybe being a seal isn't for you. Or suppose you quit and don't make it through seal training. Uh, just to be clear, you will still be in the military, and uh, you're probably going to pick up a job like chip and paint off some boat in Japan. And uh, you know, there's some truth to that. <laughs> so that was a, a to me that that was like the best motivational speech right there. Because I'm like, I will not be that man. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I started preparing, you know, right away." Uh, doing all the pull-ups and push-ups and sit-ups and running and swimming, I was very determined. I had that that mindset about it. Like I was already determined. I will die before I ever ring that bell and quit in training.
0: Man, so how old were you at this point? Like nineteen-ish?
1: Yeah, 18, eighteen, turning nineteen, kind of. Yeah, definitely the teen years there. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I didn't even finish that first year over at, at junior college yet. And what happens is, is he invites me into his room one day and I'm thinking he gets it now. He sees I'm serious. He goes, you really want to do this, huh? You want to be a SEAL? I'm like, yeah, dad, I want to be a SEAL. He goes, great. Well, I set up a workout for you with the Navy SEAL. Check out my computer <laughs> screen. And I'll never forget looking at the computer and I'm thinking, my dad is a only Navy SEAL. So what could this be? He doesn't understand how the internet works, how people could lie. They could be whoever they want to be on the web. And it just says in the email, can Chad come out and play tomorrow? And I'm reading that like, play like dad, let me get this straight. You met some guy off the internet says he wants to play with me and you're arranging this whole thing right now. (laughs) And, uh, he goes, no, he, he's a seal son. I'm like, all right, I'll go meet up with the guy. Well, what I didn't know is there was a conversation that took place prior to that email and it was on the phone. And my dad was on the phone with him, this seal. And he's telling him, look, my son wants to be a SEAL, but he has no idea what he's signing up for. Like, he doesn't know what he's getting involved in. And so he was asking him for a big favor. He's like, could you do me a solid? Would you be willing to meet up with my son? But what I'm asking you to do, I need you to crush him, like just bury him, like beat this desire of becoming a SEAL out of him. And so he didn't get the response on the phone. It happened after a little bit of thought in that email. And so I found out about that months later, but it's good for folks maybe to, to kind of know the backstory up front. That's what the can Chad come out and play tomorrow thing was. And so that's where I got introduced to uh, the Navy SEAL, Scott Helvenston.
0: Wow. Not many people can say they had a workout with the Navy SEAL before, coming, before <laughs> becoming a SEAL. That's pretty crazy.
1: Yeah. The the thing with Scott too, is that obviously I don't know that this is going to be kind of like a test fire. He's going to see if I I got what it takes. I I find myself going for a run with him out of the wetlands. And, uh, I did do something to upset him, you know, at some point because he he went a little over the top, you know, and (laughs) I'm I'm running ahead of him and he's behind me and, and I'm trying to take off and trying to, I'm trying to press him and, uh, he's catching right up to where I am. And next thing you know, I'm going down on the ground you know, and, uh, I got the wind knocked out of me, jumping on top of me and just ragdolling me, screaming in my face. I'm thinking guy off the internet, like, Oh no, this is happening. Child predator. And, uh, then these words come out. He says, you want to be a Navy SEAL, you better stay three paces behind me. And something about that moment, it just, it clicked right there. I knew like, this is it. This is for real. Like if, if I want to be a Navy SEAL, this is the moment like it or not, where if I quit right now, this is going to affect the trajectory of the rest of my life. Like the way I respond in this moment is going to set the tone. And so that's where I just reaffirmed that initial attitude that I had in the parking lot, like die before you quit. And so he gets up to three paces and he winds up taking me on this, this run where I have never ran like that. Even after going through SEAL training, (laughs) I stayed on his heels, but I was like, I, I, it was, that was by far the most difficult singular workout I have ever been through. And uh, we finally get to a point where he's kind of pacing back and forth, looking at me. And I'm thinking, what's the deal with this guy, you know? And uh, he just says, hey, if we would have got another mile or two, would you have stayed with me? And I just told him, Scott i will die before I quit. And he gets this big smile on his face. He just goes, you want to meet up again for another workout tomorrow? And uh, I just, I agreed. And I didn't know what, if it was going to be that every time. And thankfully it wasn't. It was no longer these like a a beat down like that. It was more of a, a building up. And uh, I moved on in life from initially, from the start, he used to call me Bubba. It was just Bubba all the time. And, and eventually kind of took me under his wing and, and started calling me Junior. Uh, oh, but that's cool. I think maybe one of the takeaways we could touch on, right, would be, you know, and, and you can call this a leadership principle or, you know, a truth to live by, is, uh, you know, people kind of have this idea of Navy SEALs as being the super elite, extraordinary you know, men, and you, you picture the people that become seals. You're probably picturing, you know, some guy that's just cut from another piece of cloth, <laughs> something different. And and it couldn't be further from the case. Uh, seal training is a melting pot. We have all kinds of guys show up from different backgrounds. And part of our seal creed, and this would be the truth, I think, to to share with everyone, it says that we're the common man with uncommon desire to succeed. Mm. I did see that they recently tried to change that to common citizens with uncommon desire to succeed. Yeah, Something I saw that too. Going on there? Yeah, but thankfully, I, I, I think Trump overturned it. Um, but yeah, you could, you could say it applies to women in, in a sense. Be common man or common woman with uncommon desire to succeed. This is whole life stuff. And so the idea behind that is it's, it's, it's not the extraordinary people that go and accomplish extraordinary things. It's the common people, but what do they have about them that makes them different? It's mm. not DNA. It's, it's a desire. Right. It's, a, it's a mindset. Like how bad do you want it? And I could demonstrate this no clearer than the first day of SEAL training, showing up 173 guys total instructors coming into the room saying, gentlemen, how many of you are willing to die before you quit? We're all pounding on our chest. We go, who ya?" That's our yes. And a member of this instructor goes, great. Why don't you take a mental picture of the guys on your left and right? And in fact, do the same thing if you got guys in front of you and behind you. So I'm looking around the room at you know all these other guys and he goes, chances are, if you're still standing here for graduation day, these guys that you just took a mental picture of on your left and right, front of you behind you, chances are they didn't make it if you were still th- there for graduation. And that's where it was an eye-opener for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, where are these quitters going to come from? <laughs> because I knew it wasn't going to be me, but at the same time, these guys say it's not going to be them. And they say it the same way I say it. And we've already gone through some pre-seal training together. This is, you know, the be- like in, in doc, we went through some beatdowns with the instructors and we suffered pretty good. And there was no quitting any of these guys. So I'm just thinking, how deep do we got to go? Like, yeah. what is it going to take? And so realizing the majority of the room has got to go, I'm just trying to pick off guys that are the low hanging fruit. Like where are some of the early guys there to go? I'm looking around the room and I see this guy Barth. And Barth, he was not one of the guys that was going to go. You know, Barth was the stud of the class. This was the guy that was, it just seemed he was born and bred to be a Navy SEAL. He was cut from another piece of cloth. There was never a question over who's going to get first place, like on a run, swim, whatever we did. He was in such a league of his own that the conversation was, who's grabbing second? Who's getting second place today? Because we already know Barth is just in his own pack. So I'm thinking, all right, there's one of the guys that's gonna be there for graduation day, and I'm kind of like telling myself, like, come on, man, you got to find people that you think will quit, not people that'll make it. I'm scanning the room a little bit more, and I see this guy, Alex Gagne. Now, Alex Gagne was a complete antithesis of Barth. Like, not only is this guy gonna quit, he is the ugly duckling of the class. He's the locker room talk. He's gonna be the first guy to quit. How can I forget about that guy? And so I'm like, all right. At least I got that settled. You know, I found the first guy that will probably quit, you know. Well, the irony is that by the time we get to the most difficult part of training, hell week, who's amongst the first to quit? Well, I saw this guy, Alex Gagne. Amongst the first to quit was Bart, the stud of the class, the guy that everybody thought was born and bred to be a Navy SEAL. And the crazy thing, who ultimately made it through the pipeline and became a Navy SEAL? Alex Gagne, the guy that everybody thought not only will he quit, he'll be the first guy to quit. And so what I want to emphasize there is the truth of this principle that you can be a common man. The key, though, to success is uncommon desire to succeed. Yeah. And that's good news, especially in this day and age where, you know, a lot of people try and base things off of, you know, privilege or race or like some type of identity thing. Or, you know, they are, you know, the victim of, you know, their their upbringing and circumstances. And it's like that's that's not the difference maker right there. Like, sure, I'll grant it. Yeah, maybe some people do grow up in you know better households or do get better educations. But that's not the stuff that really counts. You know, the stuff that really counts you you can't control a lot. Of those are uncontrollable factors. But the, the the stuff that really matters are the controllable factors. Like, you cannot determine your DNA. Some people just have the DNA that produces the muscle and the stamina. But the thing that matters the most is not your DNA. DNA does not determine destiny. It's desire. Yeah. It's mindset. It's heart. And so whatever it is that you're going after, you have to have that mindset, that heart, the desire for it. And those are the types of people that God uses, by the way. Yeah. In fact, look look throughout the the scriptures. You'd be pretty hard pressed to find, you know, someone that had, you know, his natural ability used by the Lord in, in an incredible way. Yeah. Uh, he uses a lot of flawed human beings.
0: 100%. You know, yeah.
1: Moses was on the run. You know, he was a, a fugitive at 40 years in the wilderness, you know, kicking rocks, following around sheep, you know, and, and that's when God calls him and he's asking God, who am I, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, yeah. that I should tell him to let the people go. Yeah. He's asking the wrong question. It's not who am I, it's who is my God. And so if your heart is aligned correctly and he got around to asking that question, he he got a name out of God that no one had ever gotten before, the great Ego Ami, the great I am. Uh, but God says, like, I will be with you. And so it's the little runts of the litter. Like God says in First Samuel 16, 7, he says, for I do not see as man sees. For man, what does he do? He looks at the outward appearance. That's what we all do. We look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And he's contrasting like Saul, King Saul, and little runt of the litter, David. David was literally not even consideration to be picked, right? <laughs> to be king of Israel. He was the runt of the pack, this little guy, what did he do? Well, we know him for taking on the giant Goliath. And what's unique about David? Well, he was described as a man after God's own heart. And so he had a loyal heart towards the Lord, and the Lord is able to use him in an extraordinary way. Second Chronicles sixteen nine. the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. That's the key right there. It's your heart, your desire, your mindset.
0: Man, that's good stuff. That is so good. Okay. So a lot of guys, I know a lot of guys who have desire, like I have a desire to do a lot of different things. What through your experience and we'll maybe then relay it back to fatherhood takes that desire and brings it into action. Can I, can I go out on a limb and answer my own question real quick? Please. I, if I were to answer that question, I would say it's discipline.
1: Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? I think it's the combination of the two. I think that if you have the right fuel, the fuel, I would say, is kind of like that desire. But then, you know, there's the actual practical steps that you take. Right. Right. And that's kind of what I I mean, like like the
0: discipline to follow through on those steps.
1: Right. And I felt like the hardest thing for me was figuring out what I wanted to do. And everything else after that was a matter, matter of practical steps you know like when when i was kind of in the the ether not knowing what i'm going to do with my life that was a horrible feeling i didn't like being in that place but once i captured something in my crosshairs that's what i want to do i want to go be a navy seal then i got like the big macro long term goal or plan and then i just got to figure out all the practical steps between you know where i'm at and and how to get there and like you said it is discipline it is constantly just showing up you know, if, if, if you had to, you know, write a book overnight, that would be a, a pretty overwhelming and daunting task, you know, like, a, you know, 300 page book, but what if you just wrote one page every day? Yeah. You know, that's how it was relayed to me. Like my mentor, uh, Ray Comfort, he was always pressing me to write a book. I'm like, I don't want to write a book. Reading a book is one thing. I don't want to write a book, man. Maybe <laughs> one day when well, like, I am I'm way older. And he, he goes, look, let, I'm not trying to overwhelm you. He says, but a book is about 70,000 words. And I'm like, well, that's exactly why I don't, I don't <laughs> want to write 70,000 words. He goes, wait, wait, wait. He goes, but if you just wrote like 500 words a day, you'd be there after 140 days. Yeah. I was like, okay, when you break it down like that. Yeah.
2: That, that seems makes doable. a lot of sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so it's that whole, how do you eat an elephant? It's one bite at a time. Yeah. Okay. If I feel like having, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, well, having that, that long-term, you know, goal, the more specific you could get about it, the better shot you have of actually hitting it. Yeah. Like there's a fundamental in shooting. We call it aim small, miss small. Yeah. And the idea behind that isn't small thinking. The idea behind that is like, the more particular I could get about whatever it is that's in my crosshairs, the better shot I have of hitting it. If I'm just trying to hit an enemy insurgent, that's like flanking my team. And my goal, the goal is hit him somewhere and I miss, what happens? Well, I'm off target. I don't touch him at all. But if I say, you know what? I'm going to aim small. Well, if I aim small, my miss will be small as well. My goal isn't just – my my goal is to hit him, but where's my aim? I'm finding the third button down on his T-shirt. I'm very particular now. And if I've got that third button down, I'm aiming small. Maybe I miss. Maybe I don't hit that button, but the miss will be small. I'll still find myself somewhere on him. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's the whole idea about, you know, this, this whole goal setting is the more particular you can get zeroing in on what it is that you want to do, the better shot you have of actually, you know, hitting it. And then it is the discipline, like you say, of just slowly pulling the, the trigger, squeeze one off into the target you're going for.
0: Yeah, man. And that can apply to so many things just in everyday life, right? You throw a goal out there. It's like, like you said, I want to write a book. Well, just that ha- leaving that as a goal, that's unattainable. But when you mm-hmm. break it down into like, okay, 500 words a day, I can do that. right?
1: And so we start from the broader general, like when I look back, I didn't want to live a wasted life. So I want to do something big, something great. All right, well, that's pretty broad, you know? Yeah. And I started zeroing in like, oh, you know, maybe I could join the military. And then I started thinking about the branches of the military. Like, okay, I want to join the Navy and I want to be a part of like their elite I want to be a part of like the Navy SEALs. And so that's kind of like where I I really zeroed in. And so my aim was very small there.
0: Mm, That's good stuff, man. Yeah. I think we could probably turn a whole podcast or a whole new episode into just like this one point. Cause it's it's rich. It's rich. (laughs) And I feel like we've sort of unofficially segued into some of your leadership takeaways here. So goal setting I know is one, uh, rattle off a few more for us.
1: Sure. So, I mean, that's where it starts, right? The goal, you have your what. Uh, But then I I would say, like, what's the why? Like, why do you want to do it? Right. Yeah. And everyone's why could be completely different. Like, my why might be the thing that really does get me up in the morning. And like, I'm willing to die before I quit for that why. And someone else might think, like, that's totally ridiculous. That's like a stupid why, you know, right there. But the thing is, you have to have a good why. Right. And so that's why I'm saying you got to be this common man with uncommon desire you know, for that thing. Uh, But then it is the practical steps. And the best thing that happened to me was getting a mentor, somebody that had already been down the path that I was trying to go down. He was taking me through the discipline and the practical steps, the the pull-ups, push-ups and sit-ups and the running and swimming. And he was like, he showed me what it meant to be a servant leader. Mm. And we hear that term get thrown around sometimes you know, especially like out in the corporate world. Yeah. Uh, but like, what is like, what is servant leadership? It's something we practice in the SEAL teams as part of our our SEAL creed. And so servant leadership, I think the best way to really understand it is to first contrast it with its opposite. So the opposite of a servant leader would be that prideful, arrogant leader that doesn't really care about the team so much, mm-hmm. but they are in a power, uh, a position of power. Yeah. And so they could call out the shots. They could tell people what to do And people listen to them only because they have to listen to them.
0: Do it because I told you to.
1: Right. Or else maybe I get fired.
2: Right. You know, or maybe
1: I get written up. Maybe I don't collect my paycheck at the end of the
2: day. Right.
1: And so some people do rule with an iron fist like that. Mm -hmm. It's a form of leadership. It's I think it's kind of a default position. Mm -hmm. There's probably more of these out there than the opposite, the servant leader. And so it all backfires on a person like that in the end. And you can see that. Versus the servant leader. So the servant leader being the opposite of that is, well, the best example of a servant leader is go back 2000 years ago. And whether you love him or hate him, there is one thing you cannot deny about Jesus of Nazareth. He knew how to lead people. Yeah. And he was very well known for saying, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And most people that are even biblically illiterate, they know the story. I thought at one point he got down on his hands and knees and he washed his disciples' feet. And what that did right there as he's investing into them is it blew their minds so much. Like here he is, our leader doing this for us when we should be doing these types of things for him, that something came out of that, that money can't buy.
2: Yeah. And it's
1: something that every leader wants. It's loyalty. Yep. Yeah. So that when he gave them a task, like, here's what I want you to do, boys. I want you to go out and spread this message you know, throughout the whole a world that, that hates you. And ultimately, the majority of these guys were killed in the process. They weren't just willing to do it, to collect a paycheck at the end of the day. These guys were willing to literally do it and put their lives on the line in the process. And so when you don't have that loyalty, all you're going to get out of people that, that follow you is the bare minimum. Yep. They're only going to give you just enough, just yep. enough to keep their job, just enough to collect that paycheck at the end of the day. So it really backfires because maybe you are that CEO, that manager, or you know the father of your your household. You capture the vision, right? You have your aim small, miss small. You're like, oh, I know the direction that we need to go. Well, who do you need in order to see that thing through? Well, you're going to need all the people around you. But the thing is, if you're that prideful, arrogant leader, you might have a brilliant target in mind, but you got a bunch of people that are only going to give you the bare minimum, and so your target will always be like an eagle with the wings clipped. Mm -hmm. It just never soared quite as high as it, as it could have, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas if you're this servant leader, you know, which Scott was in my life and which I learned about like in the teams, once we got into the teams, like the expectation, you know, is it's your team first, then your buddy, then you like the, the me always comes last when I'm going through a door in close quarters combat, I'm not looking over my own back, even though there might be an enemy to the right of me. And I'm going in to the left of the corner. I'm not covering my own back. My buddy's covering my back, right. and I'm covering his back. And when we're covering down for each other like that, it creates this this environment of of unity and loyalty. Yeah, and, 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 and so trust. that's that's exactly what we want in the, the seal teams. People want to know, like, what's the secret, you know, to the the seal teams and that team dynamic? I would say it's that that sense of loyalty for the guys on your left on on your right, especially when you're overseas it's esteem in the needs of others is greater than your own. And when you actually are practicing that and everyone else is practicing that, uh, that's, that's quite a glue, uh, that, that bonds everybody together.
2: Yeah.
0: A hundred percent. And I suppose, you know, me speaking, I've never been in the military, so I'm speculating, but I mean, to me that seems like it would almost be the glue that holds the military together in a certain way.
1: And don't get it wrong. You know, like, trust me, like, it's it's almost like, it's like family. Okay. It is like, it's like the family deal. Um, and you could really not get along with your siblings sometimes, you know, but there is a certain point where if something's coming up against the family, like watch out, I got my brother's back, you know, like I got a little brother and I used to kind of, you know, be do older brother stuff to him. Right. (laughs) Really give him a hard time. Um, you know, but I would never let anyone lay a finger on him around Mm. me. You know, don't you dare. That's my brother right there. Right. So, the teams are—it's like a dis—it everywhere else. It's a—it's a dysfunctional family, but it's also a very tight family. Like we come together when it really matters.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but
1: some of the guys, man, you guys just cannot stand each other in the off time. <laughs> but uh, we all got each other's back going through the door.
0: Oh yeah, hundred percent. So let's talk about adversity for a little bit. So obviously, you experienced that during Buds and Hell Week but I've heard that that's not the most adverse situation that you face as a SEAL. So kind of walk me through, what did you learn about adversity?
1: I think, personally speaking, um, the most like difficult thing that, that uh, I, I went through uh, was uh, that mentor of mine that I mentioned, Scott. He was like a second father to me. And uh, he, he took an opportunity, as he put, to go overseas again. Uh, just as I was signed up, and and getting ready to roll out and go off to boot camp and get the whole journey started. And uh, he gets on the phone with me and we're we're having this conversation on the phone. He's letting me know. He's like, all right, junior, I'm about to go do this thing. He's referring to going off to Iraq. And he says, "Uh, I just want you to know something though, that I've never told anybody that I've ever trained before. He says, I know you're going to make it through SEAL training. And I, I still can't even describe like how much that meant to me to hear that from him. Because we would have those conversations in the truck as we we're like going to go do some mountain climbing. He always tell me, you know, junior, you never know who's going to make it. The guys you think will, they don't. The guys you don't think will make it, they will. And I always was waiting for him to kind of be like, but I know you will. And he wouldn't say it. And so, boom, for that to happen, like right there in that phone conversation, that just that filled me up. And uh, I just couldn't wait for my opportunity. I knew I was going to make it too. But to hear him say that he knew I was going to make it, like, oh, man, I can't wait to prove my mentor right, make him proud. So he's reminding me of the timeline of things, how he's only going to be gone a couple months. And then after a couple months, you know, he'll be back and I'll be done with boot camp. I'll start still training. He says, I'm going to be there. We're going to see him make it through. And so, you know, we say our goodbyes, get off the phone. And now Scott's gone off to, you know, Iraq. And I'm just days away from going off to boot camp. I figure if I can't work out with my mentor in person, what's the next best thing? Well, I'll just, you know, go over some of the programming that we've done together. I know the deal. So I'm up one day. I'm in my room, television on, and uh, I can't believe what I see on TV because what I see is a picture of Scott smiling. And I'm like, what's Scott doing on TV? He'd been on TV plenty of times before. He's an extraordinary Navy SEAL, holds all kinds of records, world champion pin athlete, youngest man to ever make it through SEAL training, uh, the only man to beat the beast on a TV program called Man vs. Beast where he raced a chimpanzee through an obstacle course pulled ahead of that monkey on monkey bars. All right, So I'm just like, what is Scott doing on TV? And as I'm looking at this smiling picture of him, uh, that's where I see in the lower third of the screen, Scott's birth date. And then it has a dash and it says March 31, 2004. And before I could process in my mind, like the meaning of that, translate that right there, I didn't have that opportunity because it switches from this smiling image of him to graphic video footage, a vehicle engulfed in flames, which turned out to be the vehicle that he was in. And then he, along with three other Americans, they were ambushed over in Fallujah, Iraq and ripped out of these vehicles. And I'm looking at these scenes now where these bodies are in the streets, this angry Iraqi mob. They have sticks and rods they're They're beating and wailing away, trying to do everything they can to mutilate the bodies. And then they find rope and wrap it around their legs, hook them to vehicles, drag them through the streets of Fallujah, string them upside down from the Euphrates River Bridge, set their bodies on fire. And then they start chanting over and over in Arabic, Fallujah is the graveyard of Americans, Fallujah is the graveyard of Americans. And I think pretty needless to say, like I'll never have the words to describe, like watching that on TV and just like all the emotions and feelings that come over you. um, It's just it's one of those things that does transform you as a human being. And so we're talking about dealing with adversity. Well, part of our seal creed, it actually leads off with the words forged by adversity. We're forged by it. So these are the things that forge us or cause you to fail. Mm, You have a choice. yeah. And so I think this is sort of like the the takeaway for everyone is like we've all faced adversity. Whoever you are listening right now, you've made it to this point in your life. You've faced it. And here's the thing we have to come to grips with is that we will face more. If you continue on, it's imminent. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when something bad is going to happen you know, in the workplace, bad news is going to happen within the family. Like it's going to happen. It, 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 and it invades our life. We never get to custom choose it. It's just like a tsunami, a hurricane that comes through. So if you can't control the fact that you are going to face some nasty adversity coming up in the future at some point, I know I will face more. What's the one thing I can control? That's where we got to start looking. I can't control that, but I can control how I respond. That is the one thing that is in my power still. I am the determiner of whether or not this adversity will be, you know, what we can call a wing or a weight. Will it be a weight that just, I allow it to sink me, leave me knocked down, never to resurface again. People just look and say, wow, look at that guy. He's out for the count. Never coming back from that one. Or do you find a a wing in the moment, which is just really a way to rise to the occasion. And that's what you got to be looking for. And so it's, it's case by case basis because all the adversity is different out there. And the way where you find that wing is different, but here's what I know going into the future. Whenever I do face more adversity, I don't know what it's going to be, but I know what I'm I'm looking for in that moment. I'm trying to find the wing. I'm trying to find a little bit of elevation. I'm trying to find a way to be forged by this adversity. And so with what happened with Scott, just to kind of give you a, a, you know, a circumstantial example. You know, looking back, like when we lose somebody, one of the things that we do is we go back in our mind and, you know, we we think about like, what was the last time I was with that person? What was the last thing I said to that person? It becomes that much more important because that's it. Like, that's the last conversation you had. And as I was reflecting on that phone call with him, that's when I remembered his words, Junior, I know you're going to make it through SEAL training. It's like, boom, I grabbed onto that right there. Like it became that much more important for me now. To make it through. That was like the beginning of the forging process. I'm going to do this for so much more. I want to do this in honor and memory, you know, of my mentor and, uh, you know, really press on his legacy. I wrote his name on the inside of my hat. You know, yeah. I wanted to be the guy like I, I was, I was trained by, by Scott Helbinston. And so with his name on the inside of my hat, going through SEAL training, when times got difficult, that was one of those things I would literally look up at mm. when it got tough. And I would just think, man, You'd have to kill me before I ever quit on the legacy of that guy's name right there. That's not going to happen.
0: Well, that kind of goes back to your why, right? That was probably one of your whys right there.
1: And what I'm happy about is like my why, like I said, not everyone's why is going to be the same. And some whys might seem really silly to other people. My why in the beginning was so immature. I'm glad that eventually it did evolve and become a better why. My why in the beginning was I thought it would be cool to be a Navy SEAL. Yeah. I thought that would be really something where people go, wow, look at what he's doing. You know, that it would be flashy, a great identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that why did mature along the ways. And, uh, and one of the things that matured into is like, I got to do this for so much more than self, mm-hmm. you know, it's bigger than that yeah. right
2: there.
0: Man, I think those are two, the knowing your why and adversity, those are two lessons that are really important for, I think dads to keep in mind too as we go about our day-to-day you know why are you getting up and going to work every day why are you going to the gym why why do you do what you do as a husband and a father right and then Mm -hmm. i think of adversity man i i remember watching that news footage as it happened and being angry myself i can't imagine having a personal connection to that but i think adversity is a muscle that we can build and i think it starts young i think that Mm -hmm. you know one, one example just happened this week with my son. He plays flag football and he got assigned, we rotate positions and he got assigned to a position that he doesn't like. And I'm hope, hopefully I'm not oversimplifying this, but I told him like, look, this is the position you're playing. It's, it's out of my hands. I'm one of the coaches, but I, I don't handle that. So this is out of my hands. This is the position you're playing. You can either have a bad attitude about it or you can rise to the occasion. You can make a choice. Are you going to go out there and do the best you can at this position, or are you going to have a bad attitude and potentially impact the way that your, that your team performs during the game? So that's just one tiny little example of how, you know, even in youth we can teach them how to handle adversity. And I think, like I said, that's a muscle that develops over time. You can continually and intentionally work on that so that when you are faced with real true adversity, that muscle reflex of, okay, I've got a choice. And just being aware of that moment, um, I think it becomes second nature to us. So uh,
1: it is a a muscle. It's a chipping away, a chiseling process. And uh, you know, if if you know the Lord, God's at work, you know, through all that as well. I'm going to take an attempt at sharing an anonymous quote. It's been a long time since I've shared it, so I don't know if I I have it still. Uh, But it captures this, and at least I'll get at least most of it, if not all of it. But it, it goes to say. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods and watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay, which only God understands. While man's tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how God bends, but he never breaks when it's man's good, he undertakes. And now he uses whom he chooses. And by every act induces him something else about fusing him. <laughs> God knows what he is about when it's, and, and and so
0: that is really good, man. And you did. Great. I, I
1: wish I, I remember that <laughs> last part when he, he uses whom he chooses and by every act induces him something fuses him. Um, but God does. He, he when when God wants to use a man in a great way, He knows what He's about. Like I said, I was just I took a shot at it, but ninety percent of it is, is there. <laughs> That's what God does. He bends us. Yeah. He doesn't break us. Yeah, you know. And that 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 chiseling process is is not a comfortable feeling whatsoever. Um, but it, it's better to be used by God in that way to be that sort of man in the arena that Theodore Roosevelt like talks about. You know, it, it, it's better. It's better to you know take that shot. And, and maybe you fail, but at least you fail while daring greatly so that your place will never be among the cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Like that is a person I never want to be. is the person that just was a spectator the whole time. Yeah. I rather get in there and fail yeah. than to not try at all.
0: Oh man, this is so good. You kind of got me fired up now and I, you've got a fire in your eye too. You've got me uh, pumped up, but I feel like that might be a good, a good spot to kind of wrap it up. Man, I don't know if we got to all of your uh, talking points, but I feel like we might need to do this again if you're open to it.
1: A thousand percent, bro. We could totally do it again. I'd love it.
0: Awesome, man. Chad, thank you so much. Before we go, um, first of all, a question that I try to remember to ask all my guests, and I almost forgot to ask you. Uh, I know you've talked about legacy before, and you touched on it in this episode. If you had to define what an inspired legacy meant to you, Put you on the spot here. What does that mean to you? What's an inspired legacy to Chad Williams?
1: I would call it the things that you write on the inside of your hat. And what I mean by that is before we went into hell week, the instructors gave us white felt markers and they wanted us to write on the inside of the hat, the things that were going to get us to dig deep when the going got tough. And I remember looking around the room at what other people were writing on the inside of their hats. I'm looking for inspiration. And uh, looking around the room, what I saw was a common theme, a common thread between the guys that made it and the guys that didn't. The guys that didn't make it were the ones that were writing very narcissistic things on the inside of their hat, right? The ones that did make it, here's the common theme. And I still have this hat to this day. And this is exactly what's on the inside of my hat. It's faith, family, friends. Mm. So I guess you could say that's what the inspired legacy is. It's in faith, family, friends. Um, Obviously, that relationship with God. If you have no peace with your creator, you'll have no peace here on earth. He is the one that is the mover, right? Like we talked about that loyal heart. He's able to show himself strong family on the inside of my hat. When I thought about quitting sometimes, and I never like really play with the idea of quitting. It's more like when things got really difficult, I would think of this, how awful it would be and how I will never have that phone conversation with my parents, letting them know in the middle of the week when they shouldn't be hearing from me in a week, Hey, I quit. They're not going to hear those words. I'd rather die than have that conversation right there. And then my friend, Scott Helbinston, I had his name written the inside of, of my hat. And so in the SEAL Creed, this is what it says. It says, in the worst of conditions, I rely upon the legacy of those who have gone before me to steady my resolve and guide my every deed. When I think about my mentor, Scott Helvinston, or I think about other SEALs like Mike Monstour that jumped on a hand grenade to save the lives of others, laying down his life, that fires me up that legacy steadies my resolve and guides my every deed. And so we can look at the legacy of, of those that have gone before us to steady our resolve, but also we should be trying to lay down a legacy similar to theirs as well. So to me, that's what the inspired legacy is.
0: Man, it's tough to top that one. That's good stuff. Chad, where can people find you and follow you online so they can keep track of what you're up to?
1: Uh, Social media, um, I'm probably most active on Instagram. It's the same title of the book, Seal of God. And uh, online, uh, you can find me at sealofchrist.com. I tried to get the Seal of God, but some guy already bought it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. We'll link to all that in the show notes. Chad, again, really appreciate your time, man.
1: Thank you for having me on, Mark. I appreciate it.
0: All right, guys, that's it for this episode. Thanks again for listening. And again, if you got anything out of today's message, remember to subscribe both on the app that you're using to listen to this episode as well as on YouTube. Leave a review and share our message because when we work together to lift up fatherhood, we're going to change the world one dad at a time. Until next time, live inspired.